The name's anonymous. Fanboys anonymous. Welcome everyone to episode 001 of A Review to a Kill, a James Bond review point podcast where we'll be breaking down the films and the 007 elements that make them what they are for the James Bond franchise, starting with Dr. No, going all the way up through, hopefully, No Time to Die, (laughs) whenever that film's going to come out, at whatever point in 2058 or whatever it might be. We had 20-something films to break down here, and it's going to be a fun journey. We talked about our process and how we're going to approach this in episode 00. Go ahead and check that out if you haven't checked that out already. Uh, for context, we're recording this on January 10th, just in case anything changes or, you know, whatever, since uh, we don't know when we're going to upload these. But we're going to just start diving into this the way that we normally do here. I am your host, as always, Tony Mango. Joining me, as always, I've got Robert D. Felice. Live in Technicolor. Callum <laughs> Wiggins. Do you expect me to talk, Mr. Mango? No, Mr. Wiggins. I expect you to talk about Dr. No instead, because it's a different movie. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I just had to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what we're going to talk about here is Dr. No. It's the first true Bond film on screen. They did in the past have an adaptation of Casino Royale that I have never seen. I've never seen. There's three versions of Casino Royale. There's the Daniel Craig movie. There is the spoof movie with David Niven and Peter Sellers and all that. And then there is the short story that was on a television show where they adapted it where instead of James Bond, it's an American agent named Jimmy Bond. <laughs> it's Barry Nelson as James Bond. And I have no interest in seeing that because it, for the clips I've seen is just terrible. Just absolutely terrible. You have no interest in Jimmy Bond, the American boy, just Jimmy Bond smoking a cigarette and just being like, yeah, I'll play some cards. You know, I'm Jimmy Bond. I'm an agent. America. I have a hot dog. <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. No, give me uh give me Sean Connery, give me the start of arguably my favorite franchise. I don't know, it's hard to tell about and Marvel and used to be Star Wars until they screwed that all up, but we're not gonna get into that. <laughs> what I'm hoping that we get into is also your thoughts. So drop a comment below. Tell us what you think about Dr. No or any of the other movies if you want to talk about that. We're gonna run through all the movies here, so you know, let's uh strap yourselves in for that kind of discussion. So if you're ever on YouTube, obviously hit the subscribe button if you haven't done that already. Ring that little notification bell, hit the like button, the share button, all that kind of stuff. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Follow our accounts separately. Um, you know, if you want to show your more support for this and you want us to do more of these kind of things in the future, consider donating to the Patreon. Go ahead and check that out on patreon.com slash fanboysanonymous. Check out the merchandise shops on TeePublic and Redbubble and do the same thing for everything on Smarkout Moment. That's pretty much all the plugs I'm going to mention until we get to the end here. I just want to dive into this. Uh, What we're going to do, as we mentioned before, is that we're going to focus primarily on seven topics, but we're going to bounce around quite a bit. Those topics are girls, gadgets, music, action, humor, villains, and then miscellaneous, because that's where you just throw all the other things in there. Uh, We will talk about the movie running through here and there. I've got lots of notes, and... We're going to kind of um, see how this goes. I don't know. We'll tighten things up in the future if this uh, is a little bit haphazard. I apologize. Uh, For context about Dr. No, this is one of my least favorite Bond films. And neither of you had seen it prior to this viewing, right? Correct. No, I'd never seen it. So generally speaking, how do you guys feel about it? 
Oh, God. Can I have more cheese, please? <laughs> this was... Uh, it's it's a good film, especially because I know it kicks off such a legendary franchise. But it's so cheese. I found myself just strangely enjoying quite a lot of it. I I, I can't say it was like an all-time classic that I'm going to go back and see over and over again. But I think for what I expected from the franchise, it pretty much delivered on most fronts. It's very, very Bond-centered, which I do appreciate. This is a movie that sets a lot of the tone for a lot of things that are happening, but they didn't quite obviously get the formula down yet because it is the first entry. So I'm always willing to give it a little bit of a, you know, a little bit more slack, but just as a movie itself, it's one of my least favorite. Cause it's, uh, I think the phrase that I had used when I started rewatching it and I just sent a chat to you guys was it's a slog to get through the beginning of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it does take quite a while before you see bond appearing in, obviously very familiar settings but yeah it's it it, it does take a, a quite a bit of exposition to get there and the exposition's not even bad it's just poorly done in some ways it's mostly execution in this movie that i don't like rather than the actual plot necessarily because if you take the general idea of somebody is using nuclear power and they've got this technology that they can take uh missiles and reroute them and whatever yeah it seems like a pretty decent enough plot but when you start things off with something like well they don't have for instance the trait uh, trope yet of the opening title sequence that leads into the main theme that leads into the rest of the movie they didn't do that they just start off with the gun barrel the gun barrel starts off weird it's got this like kind of thing going on and it's like when it the scope moves out, it goes boom, 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 boom. And it's like, because what in the hell is going on here? Like, I'll tell you what's going on. It's the 60s. <laughs> and these things are new and fresh and they're excited to play. With. That was one of the first things I noticed right away was they were so excited to play around with these new colors and effects because they were just <laughs> having a ball with that. Now, for uh, one of the little bits of trivia that we got going on here, that's not Sean Connery in the gun barrel. The first I'm bunch of tell. them is uh, Bob Simmons, his stuntman. And I hate the versions of the gun barrel where he jumps. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it does seem like a guy who's like afraid to fire a gun. Yeah. Because he's just like, he's just like, as soon as it lets his hand, it's like, oh my God, I'm going to drop it as soon as I move with it. It's just... Yeah, it's like a guy that's never really fired a handgun beforehand. There is no better gun barrel than Brosnan's. Because more kind of, he's a little rigid. And uh, Dalton's Dalton's a good one. Uh, Craig is really quick for some reason. He like sprints. But Brosnan's got this like cool swagger about him and he spins just in the right way. The jumps, I hate them so much. And this whole intro is just bonkers because they've got the bond theme and they cut the bond theme up in a weird way i didn't get a chance to finish it but i had on the uh commentary track which is like a collection of different uh audio pieces not like a full-on somebody sat down and watched it like we do with the fan tracks which if you want more fan tracks patreon um 
but uh, Monty Norman is talking about like the Bond theme, and he's just like, oh, they just like they hacked it to pieces and everything because it is just sort of midway through the the main melody, they cut over to a different section of the theme, and you got these the the dots all over the place, which it starts this idea of how these entrance themes are going to go, where they're going to have this, you know, the projection of some kind of a weird element. It's a little psychedelic and trippy and, you know, pretty much every Bond film has that kind of thing at that point. Um, and they switch over to two different songs. They cut over to whatever technique that they used. I don't know. Some kind of rear projection thing or something, but uh, I'm not technical. I don't know that crap. Um, of the the dancers. So you go from the Bond theme to this just, you know, tribal kind of thing. And then you go into Three Blind Mice. Yep. A reggae version of Three Blind Mice. Three Blind Mice here and here. It's like, what the fuck am I watching? Is this a Bond well, movie, you know? I mean, I mean, the movie is set in Jamaica. So I guess they're putting the, the cultural context in that side of it by doing like... And then you see it cuts from that song into an image of... Three old men, seemingly, walking in silhouette. <laughs> blind men, like, holding like, one of their arms against the other one, so they're walking in a chain, essentially. And then he cuts this, the actual thing, and it's just three Jamaican men walking, seemingly blind, with, like, begging cups in front of them, walking down the road. It is the most bizarre opening to any Bond film by far. And that's yeah. a franchise that has him jumping out of a window... With a briefcase, it has, uh, you know, him doing like these oddball stunts and you know, he dies in half of them, <laughs> practically, it seems. And it's just these three blind guys are walking and that's, I hate it so much because it's hokey already. And the big thing that they reveal is like, surprise, they're murderers. And this is a plot that they're not actually blind and. If I would have seen this movie first, I probably would have shut it off <laughs> and never been a fan. Now, if you're, let's just put ourselves back in those days. If you're going into this movie, no pun intended, blind, uh, what are you thinking at this point? What kind of film are you getting here? Mm -hmm. You're not getting a spy vibe. You're getting a weird, like, am I on a trip? I get it's the 60s and everything to an extent, has to have that psychedelic, you know, campy vibe. But this was not the start to a Bond film that I expected. <laughs> yeah. For the first Bond film, too. Not even when they get to the point where they're like, ah, oh, let's switch it up a little bit and do something different. Yeah. Well, it's, it's even more to that extent, really, because the books themselves are... Like the first, the first James Bond book is published in '53, so it's less than ten years before, well, around about ten years before this comes out. So I don't know how universally well known this is, but it's still the idea that this this movie's called Doctor No. It's not called James Bond. I know obviously you had John, James Bond in like the in the promotional stuff and like that, but it's not like it's James Bond in Doctor No or something like that. It's not even double seven. It's literally. It's called Doctor No. And then Unless you, you get with like, like the other titles, because they always put 007 in front of them. Yeah, I guess so, really. But it's just a case of... But then you just immediately cut it. You don't see Bond in this movie for about 10 minutes. So it's like... So I don't know what people would expect just going into it, I guess. Again, it's a lot of exposition, and you kind of need that to explain a lot of elements to it. But 
the fact that you just don't see Bond for a long time in it probably would just maybe confuse people early on, but seemingly it proved to be successful. So I guess it didn't do too badly. Maybe this, maybe this is like, again, going in the context of the time, maybe that's just what people would expect from it. They don't expect the stars coming immediately. I mean, because, go on, go ahead. Finish oh, say, especially because I don't think Sean Connery was a house, was a very well-known name at this point. Right. If I pass uh, AMC or Turner Classic Movies and I see Dr. No 1962 and it's just, I don't see the gun barrel. I just see the three blind mice intro. I'm <laughs> probably changing the channel. It's just a weird way to start that off. And, you know, I mean, like you can watch, tell somebody to like to watch the Star Wars films and you go, yeah, but start with episode one or yeah, but start with episode four or whatever, you know, if you use like the hatchet method or whatever. But if you start it off, it's like, oh, it's Star Wars. It's the same intro for every single one. And the gun barrel, despite the weird, you know, kind of thing, you're like, eh, cool. Bond, Bond, Gong, I know that. And then it just gets into the three blind mice and you're just like, oh, somebody spliced a different movie in the year, you know? Not my favorite uh, intro for this. Not my favorite music. And for, in general, uh, this movie is like maybe the lowest for music for me. The Bond theme, of course, iconic, fantastic, mm. overplayed in this film like crazy. Yeah, they do it. Every transition has the Bond theme under it. And it's just the wrong placement. And they do this in For Much With Love as well, where they just play it really loud. And during times where he's casually walking, he's just like, and we'll get into For Much With Love when we get into that. But like, that's got a, like a punch to it, you know, the and he's just sort of like, oh, I'm going to check for another cigarette. <laughs> it's, it doesn't play the way that it should. I, I don't see anything bombastic enough when he's sitting down or he's like grabbing a drink for it to be like, it's James Bond. No, he's putting his coat away. <laughs> like, So I, I've had the benefit of watching a lot of Batman 66 and there's a lot of that same vibe and well let's just put the batman theme over you know this weird transition uh well and harriet's baking cookies because you hey did you forget what show you're watching i really think it's like this weird thing of don't let the audience forget <laughs> what they're doing it's very strange remember everybody it's james bond it's a good thing that they don't have lyrics to that imagine if it was just like james bond is bond, here he's james bond <laughs> James Bond, it's James Bond. <laughs> so music in this movie, we'll talk about another song a little bit later on that I don't like. Um, the way that they filmed mo films back then, it's really strange to uh, like a modern eye where you see, for instance, the W6N, W6N. I always liked that. Uh, when she gets shot, they just have this weird cut no, no, like this was awful. Did they cut away like if they didn't bother changing something? And it's like, okay, let's get the stunt double in here. And they just horribly edited this and it looks so Bush League. And it's something that they did. Like, this isn't like a glitch in the film or something. So if you're watching this movie and you go, oh, like I, my stream's down or something, no. This is in the movie. Like that that's the final cut. They liked that. 
I guess it's like more jarring because it's that's when the shot happens, but it's just bad. It's really bad. So they do this whole thing, you know, they set it up. We finally get to where you're introduced to Bond. And funny enough, out of all the ways for that's the start of the franchise for you to see Bond the first time, he's playing Baccarat or um uh I forget the name of it. It's not Baccarat, but it's some other kind of game that I don't fucking understand the rules to. They've played in a couple different movies, and all I get out of it is somebody says Sweevy, and people go Banco. And then somebody wins. I don't know what the fuck the, the purpose is. So if you understand, drop a comment below. Tell me how to play this game. Um, but instead of it being like, you know, Bond's there and he's kicking some action like that, you're introduced more to one of the primary Bond girls, Sylvia Trench. And she's the one that when he's like, you know, oh, like what's your name or whatever, she says Trench, Sylvia Trench. And you, and he's like, you know, Bond, James Bond. So he gets that from Sylvia Trench, which is really strange. It works. I did pop to hear him say the line. Yeah, I think it obviously, yeah, the, the line is iconic. So, of course, you're going to get a good reference from that side of things. I think it's actually quite good that he said it off of what she said, because that's basically his, well, again, it's Bond. So you're going to have a lot of uh, puns and a lot of like, witty phrases out of that so i think that him mirroring a woman's way of saying it is actually the best way it could have come across it's definitely a flirtation tactic Mm. and that gets you to know already that number one this dude's good at what he's doing because he wins the game you know he's quick on his feet he's got this like smoldering intensity to him that she just completely falls for and that he's able to manipulate somebody just by something a little bit subtle like that. It's the type of acting that you don't get in some of these other types of movies here and there, or even in this movie in some <laughs> other scenes. I really, I really like the start of that with the whole Bond James Bond thing. And this is full blown in the era of smoking is cool, kids, which it isn't. Don't smoke. Yeah. So everybody I, I, in this movie and a couple other ones later on are just like, here's a cigarette because you're a man. Like, you know. So, so I kind of maybe harshly, you could obviously be a judge of it. I kind of refer to Sylvia Trench here as a living prop, <laughs> and that's basically because her role in this is to essentially show that Bond is very charming with the ladies, is very like, is charismatic. He's lucky at, I say lucky, but he's very good at obviously whatever game they were playing in any sort of like casino environment that he pretty much owns it and he can sweep women off his feet very, very off their feet very very quickly so basically that's her role she doesn't actually have we don't know anything about her we don't learn anything about her backstory Mm -hmm. or anything about that she's just there to say hey this guy fucks that's basically that's basically what i I get from it at the end of the day there can only be one first and she has that honor we've got four bond girls in this movie uh, five it kind of depends on your definition sort of six if you want to go with the w6n woman but uh, for the most part you know you rule out w6n she's just a you know a random person and you rule out money penny we'll talk to her because money penny is a different character entirely so it's really photographer girl sylvia trench miss taro and the you know main main bond girl honey rider and sylvia trench is a character that she doesn't serve much of a purpose, but she serves a great purpose in the franchise because she sets up those kind of things. 
and she comes back. So yeah, she does. We will talk about her again, but she I actually like her quite a bit. And she and practically every woman that is in the first six movies is dubbed by the same woman. <laughs> uh Nicole Ziering, I think is her name, if I remember correctly. Uh, uh Nikki Nikki Van der Zeel. Nikki Vanderseel. Uh, Nicole yeah. Ziering. Who's Nicole Ziering? That's somebody. Some actress or something. Or maybe a model. I don't know. Um Nikki Vanderseel, yeah. She voices Domino and Thunderball. She voices they just liked this woman's uh voice and they were like, Hey, can you be every woman in none of these movies? <laughs> and it's just kind of a shame because I've listened to like uh the actress who plays Sylvia Trench and some of the other characters too. Uh, you know, um the one who plays Largo and Thunderball or whatever, but Eunice Great uh Gason is Sylvia Trench, and they're fine. So it's not even like there's a big issue behind it. I don't understand why they did that, but that's a different little bit of trivia here and there. I like Sylvia. I like that she... You get the feeling that she knows exactly what's up, and she's fine with it. She's just like, I just want to bang. <laughs> yeah. Bond has a great little moment that we see many times in the franchise where uh, he gets a call that he needs to come into the office. And he's like, you know, I'll be there in like a little bit. And she's just like, oh, like when do you have to leave? And he's like, well, <laughs> kind of like, I don't have to leave right now, <laughs> which is a recurring like, theme. Bond always tacks on an extra little bit. Yeah, he basically says, like, oh, I have to leave immediately, and then says, oh, really, it's almost immediately. That's yeah. Like, that's like, it's really good. And I think this it demonstrates Bond's, I don't want to say, like, it's like a weakness for women. Obviously, it's just a case of, like, duty calls, but not if another duty calls if you say so. Duty it's, calls, it's a, but booty calls more. Yeah, that's what I was about to do. I was about to do that. You, it's like booty calls before duty calls. That's exactly the line for Bond. Because uh. Bond, I mean, one of the, my favorite little elements about the Bond franchise is how much of a dick he is. Like, Bond oh, yeah. is not the character that you want to be. Bond is an asshole. And I love when he's a complete prick. So... You know, the office calls him in and he's just like, yeah, this is more important. Yeah, it's not it's not the end of the world right now. I'm just wants to talk to me about some crap. I'm going to bang this chick first and then I'm going to do it because I'm James Bond and I'm a jerk, <laughs> you know, kind of like. Damn right. And it's so good. I love it. Um, that transitions us. We're not going to do scene by scene, obviously. I just this is one of those things where I wrote down a lot of notes to an introduction of a lot of running themes that we get here when he's meeting M and money penny and all that, he throws his hat, which is a James Bond staple for a while. Obviously men don't wear hats the way that they used to. So he hasn't been doing that for decades, but even through a little bit into the uh, Roger Moore side of things, this whole throwing the hat onto uh, the, um, the coat rack and everything is just like this little Connery trait that I like a lot. It's just, yeah. It's, it's again. It's just demonstrating the fact that this guy just can do anything perfectly, pretty much. It feels very like he's supposed to be the quintessential man, and that's what that feels like. I love Money Penny. She she knows what's up. She knows she everything totally about does. it. She she's she comes across as like he's equal. 
which I mm. really appreciate in this because obviously there's a lot in the early Bond movies which is very I don't say it's it's women have play a certain role in it and we know what that role is and we're going to talk about it obviously but she feels like an intellectual equal to Bond and I really appreciate that yeah like he's the or she's the one that he can't just get so it makes him want her that much more and it's really in a lot of ways perfect foil there's always this question of what their relationship really is because sometimes they kind of write them as like almost like a sibling rivalry like they like brother and sister teasing each other sometimes they do it in a sort of like when when it got to the point where uh Lois Maxwell's age was a little bit different than Roger Moore's and it, then it got a little bit more like two old friends kind of and sometimes they've had this like friendly banter and sometimes it's got this like a little bit of a steamy edge to it sometimes you get a feeling that maybe they would have like actually gotten together if things would be a little bit different sometimes they give off the impression that they might have fucked before <laughs> you know like they could have banged in the past and decided that it's a little too hard to do that and keep the professionalism and then they'll just kind of keep teasing each other or something. But I absolutely love Money Money Penny. So when she was gone in the Craig films for a while, I was just like, oh God, you bring her you gotta bring her back. We don't get Q in this. We get Major Boothroyd, who is Q, but that's just like his name. And it's not Desmond Llewellyn. And there's no gadgets in this film. So that's like one of the big things to knock it down. There's a Geiger counter. Uh, that's about it. But we do get that they switch his gun. He's been using a Beretta and he considers it his trusty Beretta. Yet M is quick to point out, yeah, well, it jammed on you last time. So you need to use this Walther now. And I, I love the relationship with M and Bond as well. Mm, yeah. uh, Bernard Lee is... My second favorite M. I mean, Judy Dench is hard to dislike, so she's my number one. And Bernard Lee has a really good. They they get more into this in From Russia with Love and Onward. There's this good rapport where like you get the sense that M is his boss and he respects his boss, but Bond's a dick, so he's going to be a dick to his boss. And M maybe doesn't like Bond, but he respects him. A little bit later on in a different movie, we're going to talk about uh, that they might have had some wild times in the past, too. But I love, in particular, that he grabs the Beretta, like in like this sleight of hand type of thing. And M notices and he's like, oh, and, you know, leave the Beretta. So it shows that Bond is quick. He's rebellious. He's stubborn. That fast, he's already like, I'm just going to pocket my gun and use that going forward because fuck you you're not going to tell me what to do but m being his boss knows this and he's just like i know bond's going to take that gun great little moment there one of my favorite moments of the whole film yeah it sets it sets up a nice um relationship between the two and so far in my first viewing of this i'm liking what i see like, I feel like the intro was a little long, but we're getting into the characters and we're seeing Bond be Bond and we're, like, learning as we go. 
yeah, it's, I again, I like the fact that he clearly does show respect. He calls him sir all the time, so he is respectful of him. But M is obviously straight. I think the thing, the line that he talks about the fact that I think he said something about the fact that double O uh, fatalities or injuries have gone down under his leadership, and he doesn't want that to change. And so he wants Bond to switch one weapon, which is almost potentially gotten killed to the more reliable weapon and obviously like you say bond is rebellious against it because he likes things his way but i don't think that there's any sort of like dislike between the two of them i think it's just a case of a boss knowing and actually trying to protect his investments the best he possibly can there's there's more contention here and there in some other parts but there's never a moment really that even when they are flat out arguing in some of the other movies and of course, it's different actors and different things too. But there's always this recurring theme of, at their worst, they still respect each other. And maybe you know, maybe they'll they'll have a drink someday, and he'll piss off uh, M because he'll be snooty about the drink. You know, like it's just good. And if that's the only gadget of the film, it's his iconic gun. I mean, he's used it in more movies than any other gun. So it's a good yeah. way to start. If anything, like the gadget side of it was more just random bits of pieces that looked pretty cool, like the um the hidden radio behind the bookshelf that you see in the early thing when obviously the uh Jamaicans are attacking the uh Strang Strangway and uh, his uh, assistant. It's like that little bit or the um I think there's a bit later on where we talk about um in one of the first fight scenes where a villain uses a cyanide pill inside a cigarette. It's yeah, like, it's those little bits and pieces that are kind of like the gadgets. Bond himself doesn't really use too many of that stuff. Oh, I was, I know, I know we've gone past like the obviously the opening side of it, but I did have a a little bit of Bond trivia. I'm not sure if you're aware of this one, Tony. Obviously, you're very well 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 versed in the Bond side of it. But do you know um about the uh like James Bond struggling to say the Bond James Bond line? Struggling to say it? Yeah. So that so essentially, according to Eunice uh, Gason. Uh, when she did a, an interview about it, he basically she basically says that um, he would get nervous doing that line, and he would say things like the name's Bond, Sean Bond, because he would say his own <laughs> name, or uh. the name's Connery, James Connery. <laughs> so essentially, they had to take him to give him like a couple of drinks to loosen him up a little bit before he could actually huh. deliver the line properly. That is the most unbond thing. <laughs> yeah, he's just like I'm nervous. This is a big movie. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know that. That's interesting. So he's uh, he's a little tipsy in that scene, then. Yeah, well, you I have to imagine that they're probably quite tipsy throughout the throughout the entire film. I'd imagine at least these first ten Bond films are probably fucking wild when they were yeah. filming this. <laughs> to the point where uh, Cubby Broccoli is like, uh, "Moonraker is science fact, not science fiction," and you're like, "All right, pal." You know? <laughs> sure it is. Um. Bouncing around a little bit here. They they are investigating Strangway's murder. They go he goes over to Jamaica. We get some stuff with uh the um the Jamaican scenery and all that. We uh, what introduced to a recurring bond theme in this whole thing, which is kind of the main bond theme, which is underneath the mango tree. You would think that I would like it a whole lot. I pretty much named uh, my whole branches of my whole web thing that whole idea based off of this and really? i hate it not i hate based it off of your last name <laughs> no, not at all okay you don't I, like it i hate it you hate the song or just the fact that it's used 
I don't mind that it's used. Because it is, it is the type of thing that you're trying to get, like... It's not as much these days anymore, because now people have the internet, but a lot of these older films, they really try to harp on this idea of, like, exotic locations. And, well, this is, a, like, a fancy meal here. You've got uh, oysters with this thing called Tabasco sauce, and nobody eats that, you know, like that kind of thing. And you're in Peru, and you're in this part of China, and whatever. So you need to feel that, like, the local flavor, kind of. And I don't mind that, but it runs throughout the whole movie, and it's just not a really good song. And for that to be, like, the main Bond theme in this, just very, very, very low, if not my lowest. I didn't hate it. Yeah, yeah, I can't say that I disliked it too much. It's just, yeah, it's just a running thing. It's not, it's not something that I would say either positively or negatively affects the film in my mind anyway is it positive or is it negative that one of the characters is named Pussfeller <laughs> yeah that's a little <laughs> it's on brand I don't know what that was supposed to be like on brand it's usually the women that have that sort of name just a guy called Pussfeller it's just well, the bartender maybe... who's really not even in the movie that much yeah, just hey, this is Pussfeller. That's a name. Anyway, we'll get you a drink if you want it. <laughs> is that what they saw? Like, just thought that like, this guy. I mean, I assume that it's taken into character from the um, uh, Fleming books as well as like in the movie as well. So I assume that's just like I because sh- Fleming traveled a lot. So I guess he may have met someone called that in Jamaica or something. But or whether he just assumes that's what people in Jamaica are called because the other guy's called Quarrel. Yeah, so, like, it just seems like just some odd names that you give to people. You would never hear in any circumstances ever nowadays. Now, Quarrel, I like. Quarrel's great. I want to talk yeah. a little bit more about Quarrel when we get like further into me, but he's just, yeah, obviously they have that little fight scene earlier and stuff like that in the uh, back room of the restaurant, but he turns into being like a nice little sidekick for Bond during this. So, yeah, totally, totally fine with Bond having a, a nice little, it's not really comic relief, but he's just a nice side, sidekick to have throughout the uh, early portions of the movie. How are you guys feeling about the first appearance of Felix Leiter? You got Jack Lord. He's a uh, Wi-Fi bow. Um, it's the only time that he's Felix. And he's very much that, like, well, I'm the American one. I got the glasses, and I'm kind of a cool guy myself. Kind of uh, equivalent. I, I didn't think about really... I basically got the impression while watching this that I just felt... Okay, this guy is okay. It's a nice like CIA agent to have to have basically bridged the gap between the two of them. The idea that the CIA is also involved as well as uh, British Secret Service, but I didn't really get the vibe from him thinking that okay, this guy is going to be either a consistent ally to Bond or something like that. I just thought okay, this is just a the guy they're using for this movie. I didn't I really think too much beyond that. Yeah. Yep. But I I think that that's because they are just finding their footing with this movie, and maybe they think. It will just be a one and done. And since these movies are all out of order from the books, that throws off a lot of dynamics. Because if anybody's seen Casino Royale, Felix is, you know, a part of that instead. And that's really the way that you introduce Felix. And then by Dr. No time around, it's like, oh, my good buddy Felix is here and he's going to pop up in Jamaica and help me out with whatever. Whereas this one, it's like, who are you? Oh, you're a CIA agent. Okay, cool. Like, you know, I guess we'll be friends. 
I I like the casting, but the character is a little weak. And a little bit later on, they have another person who's very much like Jack Lord, but not Jack Lord in uh, Thunderball. So it's kind of interesting. We got another Bond girl of sorts, the the pretty girl photographer. She's pretty. She's a girl. She's a photographer. Awful actress. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't great acting. In not the strongest. Regard. No, it's it's very over the top, over dramatic. With the things she was saying, especially when they're sitting down, when he just like runs that. I guess glass thing across the other bulb. She breaks the bulb and scratches quarrel. And he's just sort of like, ah, that's not going to do anything to me. I'd be like, ah, fuck. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And then the fact that he doesn't actually have the score for the rest of the movie. So I guess that healed very quickly for him. Yeah. See, quarrel's awesome. He heals. Yeah. (laughs) It's like fucking Wolverine. That's right. I mean, Bernard Libby doesn't. Well, quarrel returns. Oh my god, I'm so looking forward to that. Quarrel is in another movie. Oh, I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. <laughs> I won't spoil See? how. See, Calvin, but... You can't burn people alive. What the fuck? Oh my god, is he Darth Vader? <laughs> Imagine the, there's just a scene where he's just like, no, I am Quarrel. That's impossible. I am your Quarrel. <laughs> um... We're also introduced to another Bond girl here. Uh, and this whole thing is just like, basically, we have no villain. We are just sort of hanging around with a guy that we're going to talk about in a few moments, um, uh, Professor Dent. But we get at least a sense of a villain in Miss Taro. She's a secretary, and she is the very first femme fatale. Just really bad at her job. <laughs> Because she's just yeah. like sitting outside the door, just crouched down, trying to listen. Yeah, and he spots. Yeah, that was high tech. That was high tech shit in the sixties, Tony. Yeah. So yeah. So he understands that completely immediately. Um, they arranged to meet up later on. That basically, she says, "You got to come to me because we're up in the mountains and it's lovely here," and that leads to a big car chase. The, oh, the car chase! The fucking like background of the, car <laughs> yeah, the rear projection so bad just the mm-hmm. worst it's it's awful like the car is like twice the size of him by the time it's right up behind him it's just ridiculous and his drive he can't you would i watching this and this coming from a guy that can't drive just watching this this guy doesn't know how to drive because it's just like he's just moving his hands about really yep. wildly and stuff like that it's like <laughs> Like he's never been behind the wheel of a car in his life. Hey, that no, you're talking about it. Connery, James Connery there. <laughs> he's doing it and saying, Oh my god, we're in a talkie. This is amazing. They're <laughs> gonna put a picture behind me. It's bad. It's, it's real bad. bad. And then yes. the car drives down the mountain at about three miles an hour, explodes <laughs> into a million flies. <laughs> It's not even the the only time that this happens in the franchise either because the very next set of films, you've got this happening. They loved this idea of the car gets slightly off the road and just engulfed in flames for some fucking reason. It's worse than the other one, oddly enough. Yeah, and then uh, they did a little quip at the end of it which saying, like, I think he was on his way to a funeral. Yeah, that's so, a yeah. check mark for the humor. That's a, that's a good part. So the thing that I I was surprised about just I had to like I read up about the, the movie a little bit after watching it. That's supposed to be the three guys at the start of the movie that do the assassination attempts. They're in the car. Doesn't make it all that obvious, does it? 
Yeah, no, just like just <laughs> I just think it's just a bunch of henchmen going after him. It's just and they just die just there, <laughs> just like nothing involved in it. It's just it's all bizarre. Yeah, it is weird. Like they're the guys that killed Strangway in the first place. They're the ones that are the instigators. You would have thought maybe he'd have a fight scene and kill all three of them at once. Like, we well, I guess he does kill three of them at once, but we don't yeah. know who they are. <laughs> he doesn't kill them all. A faulty engine that blows up <laughs> super easy kills them. Yeah. I was going to say about this, like, in terms of the Bond thing, like, especially when I watch the more the Pierce Brosnan and the Daniel Craig versions, he comes across, obviously he comes across as intelligent and very calculating and all that other stuff, but he comes more across as, like, a super-enhanced thug in those movies. It's like a lot, there's a lot of fighting, there's a lot of action. This one he comes across more like, like, detective-like. Mm-hmm. It's very much more like, like, the, the thing that I love about it is, like, the fact that he, he checks his hotel room consistently to, like, see, like, a thing's being tapped up or things like that like what could potentially kill me in this room <laughs> is basically what he does and then he's very much like he's chasing up leads he's going from place to place he's finding things in like that little uh receipt by den in strangway's book and stuff like that it's just it's very much more like i guess super super style policeman like almost like a, a batman type character he's even called later in the movie dr no calls him a stupid policeman or- something policeman i forget um yeah exactly yeah but it's just like miss tara now that they've had the car chase and he survived that he actually appears and, and like she's shocked to see him because she she he would have died in the car chase yeah she's in a te- she's in a towel and so her response to that is to have a really loud phone call with <laughs> the other <laughs> people just basically say oh he's here he shouldn't be here he should be dead what am i supposed to do okay stall him for as long as you need to and so her way of stalling him is to have sex with him yeah multiple times and bond is full-blown like i know she's stalling me but i'm getting some and then i'm gonna leave (laughs) well it's just the idea that he checks he checks his watch like he calls for a taxi knowing like knowing what it's actually going to come and said you come and arrest her so he just checks his watch while he's making love to her for the second time just to make sure that he's out just the right time right i love it yeah yeah it's really really good and miss taro just is front of like she spits at him as she leaves thought that was like a bit of a a villainous touch added on to it because other than that she's not really effective so no she really isn't yeah i failed at everything else i guess i could just like give him a, a flu or something by the end, I'll slow him down. She also uh, is in a, a situation where um, he gets a, a good jab when she gets into the car, and he says to the uh, the other agent um, something like, uh, "Watch out for her nail polish or her nail varnish or something." Yeah, like, she said that she said that when he made like going to her for the second time. Essentially, it was like said, "Like, watch out for my nail varnish," because she was like putting her makeup on, right? And, it cuts away and then he says oh yeah watch out for it now it's Fine. just like this just dig of just like you suck at your job i've known you've been trying to work me i worked you idiot and then like you never see her again yeah yeah it's, i like the subtlety of this one because i know it's going to just go full over the top when we get more in it and connery's a bit more just underplaying it a little bit which i appreciate yeah he looks he looks like a badass here as far as like how Bond is he here? He seems pretty Bond to me. I mean, obviously it is the first one, so they will 
refine the character, but this felt very on brand for James Bond. So here's a little bit of trivia. Uh, where do you think that Zena Marshall is the name of the actress who plays uh, Miss Taro? Where do you think that she originally comes from? I'm not gonna answer that because I checked it out, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna answer this one for you. Um, I don't know where. Where? What's the general range? Um, I, I would assume so, somewhere like Korea or something. It seems like. So where? she is. Her uh, mother is French. Her father is English and Irish. And she was born in Kenya. <laughs> All right, I'm not playing any of these guessing games anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very much. Um, I, I was a bit surprised because they actually did some good makeup work to make her look like she's Asian. Right, and she had this whole career based off of her being, quote unquote, exotic enough to be like Asian and Italian. Apparently, characters in different things. Oh, so it's exotic Italians. <laughs> It's it, the exotic Italian and Asian woman who's French and English and Irish from Kenya. Like, what? <laughs> All over the place. But I'll give her credit, because that's what acting... Yeah, she pulls really it off. Yeah. It's, it's very much not Mickey Rooney from Breakfast and Tiffany. Yeah, it's oddly enough. I did not know that until doing some research behind that. I always thought that she was at least, you know, part Korean or something. And, uh... I like uh, I like Miss Taro. Beautiful woman. She sucks at her job as she's supposed to. It's not like she's, you're supposed to believe in her as being like this big seductress that actually got one over on Bond. Now he's in control the entire time. Well, but she's sucking at. Oh. oh, go ahead. I was going to say, speaking of sucking at your job, talk about Dent. Yes. <laughs> I, I, thought, no, I want to talk about Dent. I also want to talk about Doctor No and thinking. Why the fuck did you think a fucking tarantula was going to do yep. the job in this thing? This is just ridiculous. The tarantula is great. This is one of the stupidest things about this movie because Professor Dent has this whole side plot thing, and that's really like that's all they're getting to. It's very much like the detective side of things where they're trying to talk about these soil samples and they're radioactive and whatever. And you know that something's up with Dent, but you're just not getting a full blown villain the way that you would in some of the later movies. And then you get this scene. It's got the cool set. And um, Dr. No's over this loudspeaker. And he's just kind of like, you know, you failed me. Why did you come here? That kind of a thing. And his idea of, well, you got to kill Bond. Get the thing that's on the table. And it's a tarantula in a cage. Tarantulas aren't this, like, poisonous type of thing. It is 1962. And the average consumer doesn't know that. Not at all. And not only is that bad. The way that they execute that is terrible as well. Connery is afraid, of course, of spiders. So they have a sheet of glass over Connery. And that's why the shot looks so weird of like the spider clearly not crawling on him because it's crawling on glass. And he kills it. And when he kills it, he kills with a shoe and they go. Bang, 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 bang with the noise and whatever. It's absurd. I mean, that, that's kind of, if if I was in that situation, that's probably how I would react. So I can't really, I can't really say that I'm against it too much. It's just a bit. The music though. Yeah, I know. But you, you, you know, that's like just a, a nice little touch on to it. Because you're not really just going to make noise of 
a shoe hitting the ground or spider's guts flying around all over the place. <laughs> Just Yeah. I thought that was the, I think that was the right way to go about it. It's absurd, but that's there is always a certain level of absurdity in the Bond movie. Yeah, this was one of my favorite moments for the movie because <laughs> it's just all the cheese that I didn't know I was coming for. But now I'm like, all right, I guess this is where we are. So I would speak a little bit about Dent as well because obviously after the Miss Tara thing, he uh, he's waiting mm. at the place and Dent. This is one of the best. Yeah, he shoots at the uh the bed and Bond has been sitting there playing solitaire waiting for him to turn up. <laughs> yeah, it's such a cool little thing. Yeah. And then he sees him obviously walk in, he's got a gun pointed to him, he's done essentially at that point. And at one point, obviously they have that little exchange where they kind of like discuss what things have been happening. And at one point, Dent's voice changes. I don't say it changes, it sounds like a bit, a bit of it had to be re-recorded or done in another studio or something like that because it sounds really tinny. And I just didn't know what, obviously, there would be some issues with stuff like that where they may have to re-record certain bits so it sounds differently. And then he picks up his gun, says that he's already used his six shots. Yeah, that's a Smith & Wesson and you've had your six. Yeah, and then he just shoots him. I love, love the fact that he shoots him, he goes down, and then he has to shoot him again in the back because <laughs> yeah. he's a dick. <laughs> he is such a dick. And this is by far, like, not one of the most dick-like moments of Bond. It's just one of those things that he did not need to do that. He didn't need to kill him at all because it's like, you, you're out of bullets. I've got the gun trained on you. And he just murders him. But then that extra shot is just sort of like... Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> kind of great line though. That's a Smith and Wesson, and you've had your six. Again, very Bond. Like when we talked about doing this, this was the kind of stuff that I was looking for. He seems completely in control. He seems like I want to be that guy because he's yeah. just a dick, and he he just gets his way all the time, and he's with a bunch of women. This was very good. So that's like at this point in the movie, Taro's out, Dent's dead, and you're like, the three blind mice are dead too. What are the villains going to be like in this movie? Kind of, you still got a lot of movie left because they're setting up this whole thing with Doctor No. But you got to go to Crab Key to talk to Doctor No, and Quarrel doesn't want to go there because there's a dragon there, and that's like. After watching, you know, the three blind mice thing at the beginning, and you've got somebody named Pussfeller or whatever, you're like, there's a tarantula. There might as well be a dragon, too. And they decide they're going to go over there anyway. Quarrel just puts aside his fears and whatever. And eventually, you know, so on and so forth, we get to the introduction of our main Bond girl. A uh, big talking point of this movie, one of the big selling points of this movie, one of the most iconic things of this movie. They decide that they're going to take a nap. They're going to wake up and, you know, when it gets bright out and they're going to survey the island and everything. And Bond wakes up almost as if it's like this ethereal type of thing to this woman singing underneath the mango tree. And she's walking through uh, the water, you know, cascading all over her and whatever, that kind of thing. Wearing this, at, for the time, skimpy kind of bikini with this knife attached to it. Iconic shot. Uh, gorgeous woman, of course. Uh, 
if you're going to rank the Bond women on like looks, yeah, of course, like she's going to be one that people go nuts for. Not my favorite character. Not my favorite Bond girl. For the first movie, the perfect Bond girl to set the tone, I think, of a complete knockout. And this is what you can expect from this character in these series of movies. Yeah, it's a, like, an iconic entrance for Honey Rider, which you get to, which is actually lampooned pretty much for um, uh, oh, uh, the uh, Die Another Day. That's it, with uh, with Jinx's character. And with uh, Craig and Casino Royale. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, her character, I mean, I can't say that she's the greatest character because she basically is very... I don't think she's not one dimensional because they do tell a backstory. They tell it in a minute, which is like, <laughs> obviously they, they don't decide to give too much to the two. So basically within a two minutes scene with between her and discussing it with her uh, bond, she says that her dead father was killed. She believes was killed on crab key. They traveled the world for her entire life. She's completely educated by an encyclopedia. She was raped by someone in Jamaica and then she killed them with a black, a black widow spider. Yeah. <laughs> And she says all of that in two minutes and then falls in love with Bond immediately. <laughs> it's women. this stark contrast of her being like, I'm looking for shells. I'm the kind of an idiot. Just one of these beautiful women just, you know, on the beach in my bikini. I, this one sells for $50, that type of thing. And it's like, oh, God, all she's being used for this move, part of the movie is fucking Bond over because she's got her boat and she spoiled it. So she's like worthless at the beginning of it. And then they get into this whole thing where she and Quarrel are kind of like the dumb locals. And they're talking about the uh, the whole dragon thing. And Bond's just like, oh, for fuck's sakes, you idiots. There's no such thing as a dragon, you dumbass. That kind of thing. And it's like, all right, Bond, like you're kind of a jerk again. Maybe they got something here. And she, to their credit, they get for that line where she says, well, did you ever see, you know, a praying mantis uh, devour their lover after whatever? Or did you ever see a scorpion sting itself? And it's like, okay, yeah, she's not a complete bimbo, thankfully. But then that weird turn, like you said, then it's just like, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, you know, I, I read through tea, I think she said, in the, uh, tea, yeah. in the encyclopedia, and I've traveled the world, and my, my dad's dead, and I got raped, and, what, and it's just like, whoa, you're going through a lot here. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's just quite a lot of backstory, and, and I know obviously a lot of people do half on the bikini and stuff like that, but it's just the fact that like throughout the time that they're escaping from all the uh, like Doctor Knows men that are patrolling the island, it's like she's wearing like a, a half cut t shirt which is wet and she's wearing no bra underneath it, and you can clearly see that type of thing, and that doesn't really seem to go as highly revered or anything like that. <laughs> just like she's clearly she spends half, most of the movie half naked, essentially that is pretty much, and at one point fully naked. And then, and then it's just, yeah, that's essentially what her role is in this movie. I think it's, I think it's perfectly fine. You know, I, it's exactly what it should be. And yeah, it's a little much that she goes from, yay shells to this deep backstory. But they're trying to cram complex character into she's just eye candy and. For them, this was revolutionary. 
and I really tried to keep it in that context of, oh, they probably thought they were doing something yeah. special here. You got to judge it based off of being 1967. Or, not 67, uh, 62, yeah. So it's like, they didn't do the whole thing that they do nowadays, where they're like, okay, let's give them more agency, let's make sure that these characters contribute something more to the plot, let's have them be, you know, their own human being, and not just kind of, um, you know, a prop in some different ways. She's not the worst Bond girl. I mean, there's far worse Bond girls than Honey Rider. The name, of course, Honey Rider. Bond's just sort of like, huh, all right. Yeah. Uh, so you got Trench and uh, Honey Rider. Um, and Pussfeller, but yeah, he's not a Bond girl. <laughs> but I, I think that, like, you're right. Like, she, obviously she's a beautiful woman. Everybody talks about that all the time. For my money, I actually, I think that she's more attractive when she's not in the bikini and other scenes. But that's just my own thing. Um, I think it's funny, though, that she talks about that she killed the guy that uh, with the Black Widow, yet when Bond kills the guy in the water, she gives that terrible shocked face. Just that, oh, no, you killed someone. And you fucking did, too. You know? Uh, it's no, it's granted. The Black Widow killed him, not she. she yeah. <laughs> yeah, still, though, she is murder. <laughs> like, I know she, she basically tells that story and then she says, like, did I do wrong? Bond just says, well, I wouldn't make a habit of it. Just just like her just killing random people. Not to say random people who got it right to her. So yeah, because fair enough. But it's just like, yeah, it's uh, maybe that wasn't the right time to put a quip in at the end of it. But yeah. he does that anyway. <laughs> and we get into this whole thing where we see the dragon. And it's a tank with flamethrowers. And Quarrel is just like what the fuck that dragon's there like it's real ah and he gets torched poor quarrel man i was so i was so disappointed with that that's not fair it's not it's like you know he was afraid of the dragon you're like ah you're fine there's no such thing (laughs) oh shit he's dead (laughs) you're missing the reaction shot of bond going Yeah, it's just the fact that like he was he was wary about coming to Crab Key again, and he didn't really want to be there and stuff like that. So it makes it all all more worse. But like I know you're supposed to see that kill, maybe feel like oh, have sympathy with him and hate the bad guys that killed him. It's just like I feel I feel bad about Bond now because Bond is the one that took him there in the first place. It's yeah, like... he didn't listen to him. Yeah, yeah. Like... And then it's just a well, it's just a case that they there's those people in the dra- in the like the uh, dragon thing of just they've set this guy alive they set the guy on on fire alive and then they come up to bond and it's like okay we'll just arrest you yeah like you just torched a man alive and now you're just like saying oh no we'll just arrest this even though bond fights back and fights against both of them and and uh, honey's trying to grab at them and trying to save bond as well it's just like no we have to walk with you it's like we can't kill you here and they they have the line where they say uh sorry we didn't bring any flowers <laughs> Sort of like, sorry, we burnt your friend. It's like, goddamn. So yeah, Quarrel, Quarrel comes back. So <laughs> we'll talk about him another time in a couple more movies. In a Roger Moore movie, I'll spoil that. It's not even a Sean Connery movie. Um. So we get uh, Bonds captured, and this is the first of obviously the first of everything. This is the first movie, but this is the first of the you get sent to the lair. And the Bond villain's got this 
giant lair that not only has this like extravagant thing where it's like, how could they possibly not have known that there's all these people on this island that are, you know, they're all got guns and it's all this plots happening. But it's also the start of the let me be really nice to Bond <laughs> kind of thing. They, uh, to a certain extent, but they give them this really ritzy hotel looking prison cell. And I love this little element that I did not know. Uh, I didn't remember, I should say, because I've seen the movie multiple times, but I haven't seen it in a good 15 years or so. I totally forgot about this little part where her, the hostess, I guess you could say, his like warden is like, oh, breakfast is ready for you and then you'll want to sleep and, you know, like we'll see you a little bit later on. And Bond grabs the coffee and Honey Rider's like, how can you eat like now? And and he goes, because I'm hungry. (laughs) And the coffee's drugged and they fall asleep, which means literally first there's breakfast and then you'll want to sleep. I was like, that's pretty good. The warden uh, hotel uh, clerk or whatever you want to call her is knowing full well that there's going to be this drugged coffee in there. And she does wordplay just to make herself feel happy. <laughs> I, yeah. Great character. Tony thing that I feel like, of course you would like that. First of all, I don't want to undersell the fact. Why was there a four minute shower sequence? <laughs> Why not? Cause you got to get the, that, like, that uh, you want to watch it on VHS and try to see if you could see something kind of moment. <laughs> Well, it's just the fact that, like, it's 1960s and everyone is obsessed with radiation. Like, radioactivity is, like, the thing in it, basically every single movie. So it's the idea that they have to wash the radiation off of them. Yeah, <laughs> they just wash it off. Wash the radiation off. That's how it works, apparently, because nobody knows anything about radiation in the 1960s outside of people that are actually using it. They're Even at 42. They Put some more yeah. soap on. They're at 35. <laughs> Check under their fingernails. It's like, yeah, it's just like... <laughs> And so they spend like four minutes showering them, which I assume like in a modern Bond movie would just be like a hard cut. Just saying like, okay, just throw them in the shower and then it's hard cut to them being thrown into the the nice little ritzy cell. And then Bond falls for the old sleeping pills in the coffee routine. It's like, <laughs> you spent the entire time building him up like this, this detective that sees everything, every angle come in. And then he just drinks coffee and he falls asleep. And it's like, well, great job there. Well, his bravado was his own device. Like he knows that they're being recorded, like it's being sound checked in the in the uh, in the room or whatever. But yeah, we'll just down all that coffee in one go and <laughs> fall asleep. It's so weird. And they get they you know hey, put on some new clothes. You're gonna meet Doctor No later on. So finally, like way more than three quarters of the movie is over with. And you're finally gonna meet the main villain, mm. and Doctor No is uh it's you know this this ritzy type of thing he gets uh introduced with he's got this underwater tank and they're talking about how you know fancy that is and they pass by this degoya painting that had gotten stolen and it's like he stole the painting haha like that kind of thing and they're just like eating and just talking about stuff and he's just sort of like let me just tell you everything because you're one of the few people that'll understand how brilliant i am it's just a bond trope of the the villain being like let me explain to you my plot because you could appreciate my genius. He talks about Spectre, special uh, operatives and all this other kind of stuff. And he goes through the whole big long spiel about uh, 
this is my my plan. This is my villainous group, and we're employed to do this. And that this is all great information for if you get out of here, <laughs> you know. So, Bond, uh, go ahead. First of all, Doctor No is supposed to be of both German and Chinese descent because his mother was Chinese, his father was German. And he speaks perfectly the British English, despite the fact that he was apparently grown, born, uh, raised in America. So he speaks like, he speaks like <laughs> perfectly, like the perfect British. He doesn't look anything. He doesn't look in any way Chinese. So that's just like the first part of it. There, his right hand, both his hands are deformed through his years of work with radioactivity. And that's obviously an important point for what would happen later on. But so he's just wearing these two black gloves. So that's kind of all I really would say. Just like he looks like what you'd expect a Bond villain to look like. Yeah, he's... a guy who is really smug up his own ass about his own intent intelligence someone who thinks that bond like you say bond can understand it but then you realize because bond just keeps making jokes at him that he just assumes that he's an idiot and so he just uses that opportunity to just like okay so you're clearly worth the spending of but we'll do it in a very slow and painful way when you look at uh the way the villains are like i'm gonna tell you my plans because I need to be understood. It seems like the whole thing at times can be a circle jerk. Just like, <laughs> yeah, Bond is great, and we're great, and these villains are great, and everybody's smart, except the women. They're here so we can fuck them. It's, <laughs> it's very, very strange at times, but again, on brand for the movie. So, well, I'm sure this won't be the best Bond villain I'll ever see. You know? Oh, yeah, I good. just... I just love the explanation. It's the fact that, like, the explanation for sparing Bond's life is because he cost them so much time and effort to ki- try and kill him, and they failed to do it, that he could be a valuable asset for Spectre. But now he just says, well, you're clearly just a stupid policeman, so now we'll just deal with you instead. Does that turn very quickly in one conversation? Mm-hmm. It makes sense to say this guy could be a really good asset for Spectre, but then that quickly to just be like, ah, never mind. It's just like, dude, you you didn't even have dinner. <laughs> like, you're really just kind of sipping on some. Uh, he, there's lines in the movie too that are great, like where he's just sort of like, yeah, I prefer this one. Bond's a real dick too, in this. And there's a great part in this too where uh, he tries to pocket the knife at dinner, and like kind of what he did with the Beretta, but he's caught again, which is like, damn, for somebody who's good at sleight of hand, you keep getting caught. And Doctor No's just like, you know, put the knife back or whatever. And Bond basically says, well, you got no fucking hands. <laughs> oh. Which is just like, Jesus Christ, James. And, it, and then it just ends with, like, obviously, they take um, Honey Rider away and he walks away. And then it's just this hilarious scene of uh, guys beating up Sean Connery in a chair. Yeah. It's just like, the, the, the fight in action scenes in this is just so ridiculous. The, the shots to the gut, and it's just like, poof, poof. Ah, oh god it's so bad then they drag they drag it out like this is the big climactic uh end piece of a movie that in future bond films will be this big lots of great music and this bombastic type of ending and it ends up predominantly being bond like studying a chart and pretending not to be 
I mean, we get past the point where uh, I should mention about the him breaking out. He goes through the vent system. He gets burned a little bit uh, through like the. Um, I, I guess it's supposed to be radioactive waste or some kind of uh, like coolant. I think it's just supposed to be really hot. Like it's a really hot pipe because when water goes through it, it just uh, they do a bit where like water runs over him and he has to like hold his place in there and then it starts steaming up immediately. So I assume they're mm-hmm. just saying it's just like a really hot pipe that he has to wear. Uh, which can be completely uh, like overdone by just the thin clothes that he's wearing. Yeah, it's like just... he's fine doing it that way. But um, I think it's like it was very ballsy of him to step into a vent that exploded in his face a couple of seconds earlier. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, the electrified uh, grate to that. Mm. Uh, he learns his lesson the second time around though and kicks that out. Um, but he's he puts on the the radioactive gear and he's just sort of hanging around and his big plan is to just turn everything on and just make it super over uh reacting and everybody's just like well this gonna blow you need to get the fuck out of here yeah his plan for saving the day is to cause a nuclear meltdown yep <laughs> it's like this james bond or homer simpson <laughs> that's arguably Smash the absolute power. worst thing that he could possibly do even worse than them being able to do what they were planning on doing with the missile so I know all these people are like obviously working for Dr. Knight but some of these people have families and like I assume and stuff like that just blowing everyone up in a nuclear wasteland and just oh it's just crab key in general it's gonna be fucked you yeah. know all the, he all doesn't care people. he has a mission to accomplish so yeah and, they, and then they have um, him and uh Doctor No fight, I guess what you can call a fight at the very least. They land on top of the thing that's holding, I guess, the control rods, whatever the radioactive rods that's going into the water. And Bond just like basically just curb stomps him. <laughs> and then he can't he can't grab the thing because his hands are made of <laughs> his hands are essentially made out of plastic. He just can't grab it and he just drowns. I don't know if he drowns or he just goes into radioactive water and just burns alive or whatever or dissolves. But that's how he dies. It's one of the weakest Bond deaths, uh, yeah. Bond villain deaths, because he's just sort of like, ah, my fucking claw hands. Ah, it's just going to go underwater now. And bump, 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 kind of noise. It's bad. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure at the time people were like, this is amazing. Yeah. Then, Not great. Then Bond fights his way to find Honey Rider. And he just like, so he just like finds someone. <laughs> I'm just, glad like, you started that. Yeah, it's just like where where is she? Where's the girl? It's just I don't know. And he just punches him in the face and just stops him. That's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Where's the girl? What what do you mean? Uh, you know, like where where's she at or something? Uh, she's at like you know sector six or something. Well, fuck you. <laughs> so that dude's dead. Like he's blowing up. You know. That's just the funny thing. It's just that he finds her. She's chained up on like a ramp next to some running water. I guess their their plan was to just wait for water to come in and drown her alive in that position. I have no idea. And it's up to her feet, so it's nowhere near anywhere near her face or anything like that. So and he just gets her out immediately and they run for it. And then oh it's the fuck no, this is one of my favourite parts of the entire thing. Because essentially they must have gone all of their extras from like the national diving team or something. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're all doing perfect swan dives into the into the water. It's just amazing. The precision they're landing in, it's fantastic. 
they're jumping off into the water, yet there's a boat there that nobody's really getting to until mm-hmm. Bond and Honey are able to get close enough to it. And he yeah. just, you know, throws the two of them off the board. Well, Fuck you, it's my he boat. Throw, he throws one of them off, he punches one of them, and, they got, and that guy's laying in the back, just knocked out. And then Bond decides, okay, this guy's knocked out, I'll just throw him in the water as well, let him drown in there. <laughs> <laughs> he waits long enough. I wonder if that was like a Connery mess mm-hmm. up. Like, he should have yeah. thrown that guy over, and instead he's like, oh, yeah, I, I gotta throw that fucking extra over too. Yeah, and they just, they just sail away, and they're just, like, in, in the middle of nowhere because it's run out of fuel. Saved by the CIA when they turn up. After it's just the uh, best thing we should do is fuck while, we, while we're waiting for them to turn up. Yeah. God, Bond really got around. That is one thing they wanted to establish. Men are men, and they smoke, and they fuck. They smoke, they drink, they gamble, they fuck, they kill. Isn't he great? And it's like, you're kind of at the end of it, you're like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And, so, and so obviously you get the, the final scene about the, um, so the CIA turn up, and they, they start towing Bond's boat, but Bond decides, oh, I want to fuck again. And so he just like, yeah. undoes the ropes and just lets it go and just like, okay, we'll stay stranded for a little while longer. What, and, what would happen if they just never came back? Right. <laughs> just left <laughs> They're just like, after a while, they notice, hey, Bond's not attached to that anymore. Like, we're not really towing him anymore. What do you want to do? <sighs> Let's go back and get him, yeah. you know? Yeah. No, but yeah, that's uh, I mean, that's comes kind up... of the way that every Bond movie would end. It's just, it's Bond and the girl. That's kind of how it ends. So makes they, sense. that's a trope. That can... They have that trope. They give a little bit more finesse in the future because this one is just sort of like, the end. The end of the James Bond extravaganza. Don't you want to see more? Like that kind of a thing. Uh, it, that's not the best ending um, to those movies. It's, you know, they they do wackier stuff in the future. They've got some great last lines in, in particular, one of my favorite ones is uh, in Moonraker. I think I know that one. Yeah. Wait we get to that one. I really want to know what Rob's response is because that's just like, oh, god damn it, you know? Um, but it just sort of ends and then it, they play the Bond theme again because it's just like, remember, everybody, it's a James Bond movie. Dr. No is a weird movie. Very weird. I, 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 I still find myself liking it just because. I think it was a really good depiction of Bond, or at least what you want the Bond character to be going forward. Like he's very obviously very good at the ladies, very charming, very, um, very meticulous about certain things, but also very just hot-headed and maybe overconfident in certain scenarios. Uh, still very stubborn. Uh, essentially, like totally fine and totally cool with just murdering people. And like that's kind of just really the summation of what you want a 007 to be, which is essentially a really charismatic, really intelligent psychopath. Yeah, <laughs> he's a uh, Patrick Bateman if he was uh, a detective instead of a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I actually did enjoy this movie. It is a weird movie, but it's very of the time, and this left me wanting to see the character evolve and change as I know it's going to. And for what it's worth, I think it's a perfect snapshot in time. It gives you a lot of good things. It gives you a lot of hokey things, but they all do. 
There's not a single Bond movie that's, well, maybe Goldeneye. Um, that's like almost flawless. Um, so I guess let's break down the seven elements and recap kind of form. We got uh, the gadgets are the easiest thing. That's uh, the Geiger counter and a gun. It's not really anything else. All the other gadgets are just sort of like, oh, he's got a fancy fish tank and that kind of stuff. Very low. Thumbs down. Yeah, thumbs down. No. The music, I mentioned before, I don't like the three blind mice thing at the beginning. I don't really like underneath the mango tree. I don't um I don't like the placement of the Bond theme throughout it. But the Bond theme is great. Yeah, that's pretty much I pretty much my summation other than the fact that I don't I don't really mind the Jamaican elements they throw into it as well, because it kind of fits into the setting. So I'd I'd say a thumbs up on the music. I'll say this. Three blind mice got stuck in my head. So uh Thumbs up in that regard. And the Bond theme is great. Did they overplay it? Yeah, but it's the first one that's bound to happen. They, uh, You were asking for the cheese. They gave you the three blind mice. That's why it's got stuck in your head. Yeah, I got <laughs> <sighs> The opening title itself, pretty good. The, uh, the dots are all, you know, it's not the best. Obviously, they didn't have the technology to do a lot of the things that they can do these days. Yeah, I think that's... It it didn't seem like a Bond theme because just because it is all like the dots and stuff like that. And I know they do the little thing where they start playing that like Calypso music and where you get to see a few silhouettes. But really, when I think the Bond titles, I think obviously nowadays it's a bit different. But the long honoring theme was like just a load of women in suggestive poses. So I so I don't get that from this title sequence. Yeah, and it was long. So I'm going to give it a thumbs down. How do you guys feel about the title of the movie? It's Dr. No and most Bond films, not all of them, about maybe a quarter of them don't, but most of them are named something a little bit exotic, either like poetic, like a tomorrow never dies, or it's the name of something like Goldfinger or Thunderball or, you know, in this case, Dr. No. But most of them also try to incorporate that. And since we didn't get a theme that actually had, you know, Dr. No is the guy who, you know, anything like that. It's, I don't know what else they would have called it necessarily. I think Dr. No is fine, especially because like, there are a certain number of the movies that are built around the villain. So Goldfinger, Man with the Golden Gun. So I think it's fine to have one that have Dr. No be that one as well. And I agree. I think it's perfectly fine for a title of the movie. Like I said, I would put something in there that lets you know exactly what it is but it's a fine title of a movie it's better than if they would have gone with like james bond in the mystery of crab key <laughs> you know? yeah exactly yeah <laughs> it's kind of like a poirot type of, of thing key. yeah it's some agatha christie novel or something yeah uh action side of things we mentioned that um it's poorly filmed because it's back in that time frame. I guess in the time, it's probably great. Looking at it through a 2020 lens doesn't hold up. Yeah. Hilariously awful fight scenes. Uh, terrible car chases. Yeah, the action for me is, uh, is a no from that. Yeah, I'm going to have to say no as well. It was only missing some like, bang, zoom, oof. <laughs> On the hits, because this was just so cheeky. Uh, humor. 
I think there's some good humor in this. I think they're Bond on their way, way to the funeral. Uh, Bond is a dick, and it was fun. Yeah, I like uh, su- the subtlety of the humor in this stuff. So, yeah, that's thumbs up. Not a whole lot over the top like they do in some of the other films. This one's more just like he's got this dry sense of humor. Sometimes he does things to make himself laugh, you know. Um, villain side of things. Uh, you got Taro, you got Dent, you got Dr. No, and I guess miscellaneous, just, you know, a dragon and whatever. Uh, not not the best. No, very ineffective for the most part. So I know it's the idea that Bond is supposed to be very good at overcoming these situations, but you never really felt, even with the stuff with Dr. No, for a long period of time, you felt like he was any sort of real peril. So, uh, yeah, I'd say the villains are weak on this one. I, I would agree with Callum. It never really felt like he was in any serious jeopardy. But, again, you get your first taste of a real top-line Bond villain. But ultimately, thumbs down. This is the type of movie that, if they were to redo this film at a different time frame, Dr. No would be a more prominent member of the cast. He'd pop up earlier in the film. He would have a henchman that was like, not just sort of this guy who puts a tarantula on him. It would be like more of an odd job type that they can get into a physical fight with. And for that matter too, Honey Rider in a different time frame, she would be showing up earlier in the movie and she would be like, she first came across the, the samples or something. They don't do the girls too much justice, but then it is a different era. So I do like the the Bond girls in this. I like Miss Taro for what she's worth. I like Sylvia Trench. I'm glad she pops back up. And um, yeah, Honey Rider's got her spot. I like the girls. I thought they did exactly what they were supposed to do. Honey Rider, absolutely stunning. Not my favorite, but definitely not my least, you know? Yeah, I kind of have to be the uh, the difference in this one. Really, the uh, I've got kind of a thumbs down on them. I just don't think that any of them add any sort of character interest. They're just, as I said earlier, they're just living props, which I guess is is part of parcel, especially in Bond movies moving forward as well. But I just don't think any of them showed any real sense of personality or interest to make me feel like they were worth investing in for me. They're just bodies. And just to finalize this whole thing, uh, what would you say is your your biggest highlight, your biggest low point? Ooh, um, biggest highlights. I don't know whether to go funny or not at that side of it. Um, I think the biggest highlight for me is just, like, Bond in general, just, just... like I, I think Sean Connery's portrayal of Bond is really, really good in this, and I think like just one moment in particular is just the, um, I, I would say, oh, oh, I'm trying to think of one moment in particular that that stands out. It's just, hmm. I, I think maybe just him, like anything's like him scouting the hotel room or him, like just being very astute with his detective work and stuff like that. The, the early, early fight scenes, stuff like that. I just think that his overall performance was just a highlight him as just an individual character. 
Uh, the low point, I think, is just the use of Doctor No in general. I just feel like if it's, especially he's the titular character in the movie, you need to give him more presence early on. I know it's the idea like you're kind of saving him for the end and maybe that's a, a can work very well it's just like you just don't get any real sense of who he is or how he works until right at the very end and by that point it's he's pretty much dead like 10 minutes later anyway so it doesn't really matter i want to just piggyback off all of that my biggest highlight like callum is just the portrayal of bond i i even messaged you guys like i hated hated the acting in this movie except for Connery. I thought he was fantastic. He really portrayed like this cool, confident character and he's not squeaky clean, you know, he's he really was a bit of a dick and I just enjoyed watching his performance. Biggest low point again, similar to what Callum said about introducing the, the main villain earlier, there's a lot of fucking filler in this near two-hour film i really think we could have shaved some time off of it and made it more tight and even told the story better had they done some things like you know not make the intro so long or introduce dr no or the main villain quicker i just feel like there's points where this fucking thing drags mm-hmm. you know but ultimately oh. go ahead Oh, no, you finish off. I was just going to add something else on top of it. But... No, ultimately, that, the length of the movie and just the bad acting would be my biggest low point because this is a major series, but you wouldn't get that vibe from watching the first one. I was going to say, just as like, like a single funny moment that we haven't already mentioned, uh, Bond driving up to the... Um... The uh, council house, or wherever, wherever you wherever you refer to it, like the um the council building, uh, with the corpse in the back seat, it's pretty. Funny. Yeah, <laughs> that's very Bond. Oh, yeah. what what's the line that he says? He says something like, "Uh, make sure he doesn't friend. go anywhere" or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Or look done my friend for me or something like that. Yeah, it's like yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, I gotta say, my least favorite part of the movie is probably the tarantula. Um, I love that. I'm sorry. That was ridiculously fun. If it's not the tarantula, it's the three blind mice at the very beginning thing. Just because, why is that the gimmick? You know? Actually, you know, it's probably that because it's it's really ridiculous to start off a movie like that. But my highlight, it's got to be how much of a dick he is. And the line about the varnish is just, he's just banged the femme fatale who's trying to screw him over and he's just he's so happy about it and he has to just throw this extra jab in there just to be a prick and that's i i root for these type of characters maybe because i don't consider myself as bad as a lot of these people are and it's like i live vicariously through them of like i wish i could do that you know but like he is a total dick and it's so fun to see him just be like Yep, I knew you were going to do this, and it didn't work out, and now you're getting arrested, and thanks for the fun night. Also, you know, her uh, varnish, you got to watch out for that, you know. So, Ian Fleming had seen this movie. He didn't pass away yet. He said, dreadful. 
simply dreadful. <laughs> I would, you know what? Yeah, I kind of <laughs> would say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then our next film came about because John F. Kennedy said it was one of his favorite novels. So they were like, we need to do that one right away instead of following any kind of trajectory of how these things are going to go because uh, From Russia With Love in the book is one of the very last ones. So they kind of jumped to the end in some of the stories. But uh, we will break that down a little bit before we get into this. Uh, obviously, before we get into this, it's going to be the next episode. But before we do that, uh, we need to talk about the plugs that we didn't talk about. I did most of mine. Obviously, you should check out smartoutmoment.com if you want to check out the pro wrestling side of things, the red brand to the Fanboys Anonymous blue brand. These guys have other things that they're working on as well, though. Callum? Yeah, obviously, most of my stuff is tied in with the Smart Cat Moment stuff or, or in the Smart Cat Moment YouTube channel. Obviously, it's uh, Paul Home Smackdown podcast, which is like our special extra thing where we're going back to the years 2002 and 2003 and checking out every single episode of Smackdown that Paul Heyman was the head writer for. So if you're interested in like retro wrestling and checking out stuff from about 20 years ago, then me and Rob have you covered there. And you can check out all the articles on smartcutmoment.com, including the power rankings, my weekly contribution. And yeah, follow me on Twitter at wigmeister14. Okay. Obviously, we are filming in advance or recording in advance. We don't know when this is going to drop. It is my hope that you continue to come to Fanboys Anonymous. And there's a ton of content in from recent weeks because I would like to do more here. And talking about stuff like this, as much as I enjoy the pro wrestling side of things, it is a breath of fresh air. So keep supporting Fanboys Anonymous. And I wanted to say that first. Now, you can follow me on Twitter at DudeFelice. You can check out everything I'm doing over at Fightful.com. Fightful Select, please support us and Sean Ross Sapp, who worked so hard to get the pro wrestling scoops out there. You can check out um, the merchandise shops, of course. And as long as you're clicking around and supporting everything we're doing, I appreciate it. And you will be hearing more of this podcast in particular, as we've got plenty of Bond films to go. We are only one down, but we are going to roll them out as we do them. And as I said before, we're doing these completely random times in advance. So I don't know when you're going to be hearing the next one, because I don't know when you're going to be hearing this one. But just stay tuned, because they will be coming around all throughout uh, February and March and April and so on and so forth. So stay tuned, because episode 002 is coming up next as this podcast will return with From Russia With Love. Mm-hmm.